Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. I'm Pastor Joey. For those of you that are new, welcome to Vertical Life Church. And we're excited about this new uh, commercial that was shot last week. I appreciate all of you that, that participated in that. And uh, I'm just hopeful that as we get this just advertisement in front of thousands of people, that a few, hope praying for a few, and you can be praying right now for those that will see this, they'll be um, pulled on their hearts to come visit, and when they come, they'll feel just as loved and encouraged as we get to experience every week, and they'll, they'll want to stay. And uh, I just I just believe in my heart. Like, we, we pray. We believe the Holy Spirit's at work. We believe miracles happen when the school bell, bells go off during the middle of service. Uh, we, we believe that no matter what distractions are coming, God's presence is here, and God's moving. But I tell you what, miracles will draw crowds. But love will keep them here. Miracles will draw a crowd, but love will keep them here. So you keep loving people the way God loved you, and this place is going to fill faster than you can understand. And so we're just praying that God brings them in, and then as they're here, they encounter his love and his grace. And I'm so thankful to be a part of this church and this community. So we're in week two of our series, Sink or Swim. Last week, we dove into this new series and we were kind of looking at how we all go at one time or another through difficult seasons. Sometimes we go through difficult times in our lives. And in those times, it can feel like we're disconnected from God, that we're distant from God, even lost out in the middle of the ocean, stranded, trying to survive for our lives. And in that moment, when you're feeling like everything around you is just crashing in, you're under one spiritual attack after another, you can begin to feel like there's really only one of two options. You can either sink and drown, or you can start swimming for your life. And so what we begin to do is we begin to tread and try to manage our circumstances, manage our lives by investing our time, our, our emotion, our energy into something or some things that will help try to alleviate the pressure or the strain of our current circumstances. And I shared testimony about what God did in my life last week and, and how he brought me out of that circumstance and broke things off of my life through surrender. And we discovered last week that when you surrender, even in the midst of the circumstance, you have more than two options. You don't have to sink and you don't have to swim because in Christ you can float. You can float on top of the water. And in that surrender, we actually find the grace, we find the peace that we need to endure, to uh, be restored, even in the midst of a terrible situation or a terrible season. But my question today is, what if your season is less like chilling on a raft in the middle of the ocean and more like being involved in a storm on a raft in the middle of the ocean? You know, sometimes difficult seasons, they're hard. Things are going on that, that, that try us, that, that pull our attention, that, get, that wear us down. But sometimes it can feel like something intentional is happening against us. Something, it's not just times are tough. Like right now, gas prices, times are tough. 
But gas prices aren't the only struggle we can have when every tire in your car goes flat and your bearings go out. And as soon as you pay 600 bucks to fix your car, then you have back brakes you have to change. And it's just one thing after another is coming after you. And you're like, what is the deal? Right? Sometimes storms can come, and a storm is unrelenting. It's come, it comes from every direction. And not only are we struggling to float, we're hanging on for dear life. When we think of this, this scenario, these pictures that we see in the Bible, I kind of think of movies that I've seen that involve water and, and boats out on the water. There was one that came out years ago called The Life of Pi. It was an awesome movie. It was like three hours long. And it was like three hours too long, but no, it was, it was a good movie. It was about this kid who was on this boat with his family. They had like a family circus or something, so the boat was filled with people and animals. And they had a storm one night, and it wrecked the ship, and he survived by getting on a life raft, and he was able to rescue a few of the animals that were swimming in the water. And the story's about how he drifted at sea for weeks and weeks, and trying to keep himself and these animals alive. And that's like the whole movie. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. The visuals, the cinematography is awesome. And I remember that. But there was another movie, kind of similar, a little different, that didn't just include a shipwreck. It included a storm. It was a movie called The Perfect Storm with Mark Wahlberg. And I think George Clooney may have been in that one years ago. And they were out on a fishing vessel. And they were fishing, because that's what they did for a living. They fished. And they were deep sea fishing, and they were those tough guys that just weren't, nothing was going to slow them down. They, they'd seen it all, they could handle it all, and so they were out on the water, and they got news that a massive storm was coming, and you know, like, like guys do, they took the advice of the person, they packed up quickly, and they went on in, right? No, they didn't. They're like, we can handle it, we can, one more trip, we, we can do it, we can... We, we can make our quota. We can do what we need to do. And if the storm comes, whoop-de-doo. Well, well, we've seen this before. Unbeknownst to them, it created like 50 to 70-foot swells. And that one massive wave capsized their ship. And they all died. So if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, nobody makes it. You see, in storms, when you're out in the deep, and you're hanging on for dear life on a raft. That's one thing. But when a storm comes, there is nowhere to turn. You can't even decide if you should swim because there is no reality that pans out well for you. It's coming at every side. You're being battered from every side. Every direction is bad. Everything you do is met with resistance. And in that moment, you need more than a flotation device. You need a rescue you don't just need a life raft, you need a rescue. And one of my favorite Bible stories in, is involved a fishing vessel and a giant storm. It was actually a pretty triumphant day on this day. It was the day Jesus fed the 5,000. That story alone is an incredible story. I'm just going to give you the gist of it. We don't have time to break that all down. We'd be here for the next three weeks. But uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is hanging out, and the massive crowds that heard about all the stuff that he was doing, that he could do, his miracles, they begin to gather, and they gather at the beginning of the day, and Jesus begins to teach them all day. Now imagine if we started at 6 a.m., and I wasn't done speaking 
until 10 o'clock at night. Right? This is the concept. This is what was going on. They were there all day. And there was not just a few people there. There were 5,000 men. Because they didn't count the women and children back then. So at least 5,000 men. So if you compound the women and children that were possibly there, especially because some of them were polygamists and had multiple wives, you're talking about a crowd of at least maybe 10 up to 20,000 people listening to Jesus speak all day long. And so at, towards the end of the day, it's getting late. The disciples start talking amongst themselves like, man, it's getting late. If, if we don't cut this down now, if we don't send them home now, they're not going to have time to get to the market before it closes in order to get some food for their families because a lot of these people have a long journey home. So the disciples come up with this plan. We're going we're gonna to tell Jesus, hey, we, we got to cut this down, man. These people got to eat. And you know what they were saying is, Jesus, we got to eat. You know, that, you know what they were doing. They were trying to come up with a reason. Like, look, dude, if he doesn't stop, like, we're, we're hungry. So, so he, they go to Jesus and they say, you know what? We got to send them away. They got to eat. You know, we, we got we to gotta make sure that they can get taken care of. And Jesus turns to them and says, why don't you feed them? Now, can you put yourself in there that, that moment? There's 12 of you and probably 20,000 of them. And they were already struggling because following Jesus meant they were living a nomadic life. They weren't raking in the funds. They basically lived off the generosity of the people they served. So all they could conjure up amongst themselves were five loaves of bread and two fish. And I'm not talking about like the loaves, like the big loaves of bread at the store. I'm talking about like five pita bread slices. Five little things, five loaves of bread, two fish. Even large fish would have not been enough to feed this massive crowd. So you know what they had to have been thinking? They had to have been thinking, look, we don't even have enough food to feed ourselves. And to feed a crowd this large would take more than what we could make in a year. So how, like, how are we going to do this, Jesus? And Jesus like, you just bring me what you have. Jesus blesses the bread, blesses the fish, and begins to break it apart. And when all is said and done, not only is the entire crowd full, but they have 12 baskets left over. And I love that because how many disciples were there? 12. So what did Jesus do? He said, not only do I have them, but I got you. And I'm not giving you just enough because our God is a God of more than enough. Our God doesn't just take care of the, the little. Our God is an abundant God who loves to bless his children. And what he was communicating to his disciples is like, look, you don't got to be worried. If you're with me, then I got you. I'll take care of everything that you need. I'll handle any problem that you can stand against. And after this moment, which is an amazing moment, everyone's in awe celebrating what Jesus did. Jesus decides to get alone to pray. He's like, okay, it's been a long day. Now I don't know he taught them all day. I fed them. Like, imagine that after teaching, then you have to go cook the meal and pass all that out. Jesus was wiped out. So he goes alone, and he sends his disciples in their fishing boat across the Sea of Galilee so that on the other side, he could meet them the next day. And this is where we pick up our story in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, because something happens to the disciples while they are in the water, while they are traveling to the other side. In Matthew 14, 24, it says, Meanwhile, 
the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for what you have prepared for us today. God, I thank you that you know every heart, you know every plan and thought, you know every need. And God, you're not a God of just enough, you're a God of more than enough. You're a God that has foreseen what every person in here needs to hear, to be encouraged by, to receive. And I thank you, God, that not only have you prepared it, but you're ready to give it as we receive it. So, God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that understands, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to believe everything that you have to say. And I pray that your heart, oh God, would be revealed and communicated today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the disciples are out on the water. They are out in the deep. We know from last week that symbolizes a time of spiritual attack, a time of difficulty, struggle, um, metaphorically. But they were out in the deep as if that wasn't hard enough in the middle of the night as they are trying to take this fishing boat, this rowboat, for miles across the Sea of Galilee. Now a storm comes blowing through and they're fighting heavy waves. Now what's important to understand about this this storm is that there are two descriptions for it in the scripture there is this storm that has heavy waves and has a blowing wind now the wind in the original language the word could also be translated as the word contrary these winds were contrary or adversarial so the wind in in as they're describing it the wind of this storm was adversarial to the disciples. It was in opposition to them, as if it was targeting them. That it wasn't just this run-of-the-mill storm. This storm had intention against these as if they were uh, releasing a malicious attack. And the word waves in this passage can also be translated as heavy, but in the original language, it could mean to torture or vex with grievous pains. So if you can imagine what they were going through, they weren't, this wasn't just a little bit of thunder and lightning and some choppy water. This was a storm released against the disciples for a specific purpose, to take them out. To take them out. They were suffering in the storm, and they were suffering all night long. These are painful Moments when we enter storms, especially when we feel like we're lost out in the deep. They're overcoming waves. It disorients us. These storms have a tendency to come against our joy or our hope that we can have in the moment that anything could be different because these storms demand our attention. They demand our focus. So these disciples are fighting for their lives, and then something ups the ante of their struggle. In Matthew 14, 25 through 26, as if this storm wasn't enough, it says about 3 o'clock in the morning. Think about it. They're rowing all night, and now it's 3 a.m. What are you doing at 3 a.m.? I'm unconscious to the world. And these guys are rowing a boat to try to go from one side of the lake to the other. So it's 3 o'clock in the morning. And then Jesus came walking on the water toward them. When the disciples saw them walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. So, again, I want you to 
put your mind in this moment as you're in this little vessel with your 11 buddies and this massive storm's coming against you. You're fighting for your life and at 3 o'clock in the morning, you see a figure out on the water. Do you know what time 3 a.m. is? It's called witching hour. Now that... That term represents the time where demonic activity is most active in the nighttime. That concept can be traced as far back as the 1500s, but it's connected to the Catholic Church, their tradition, because of the, the fear of witchcraft being uh, increased in, in Europe during the Middle Ages. And so there's, that's where this term comes from. But the Catholic Church goes back as far as 300 A.D., and so this could be something that's been in the mindset of people for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. So I don't know if this was in the mind of the disciples or not at this moment, but it's interesting that the scripture says it was 3 a.m., and it's also interesting that they thought they were seeing a ghost. So Jesus waits until 3 o'clock in the morning to show up. I think that's hilarious. I think that's so funny. I mean, just think about it. Jesus is off praying with his uh, off praying by himself. He sends his disciples on the road. You know, he knows that a storm's coming. Or maybe it was Jesus's idea. I mean, think about it. like after the resurrection. What did Jesus do? They're all gathered in the room. And Jesus just shows up out of nowhere. That had to freak them out. You know that's not normal. If you have beings show up in your room randomly, you got problems. Like you need to call somebody, like Ghostbusters, something, right? But Jesus was always doing this. I think Jesus got a kick out of freaking his disciples out. I really do. So he's praying, and you know, like, as he's praying to the Father, I can just see it now. He's there, he's praying, he's like, well... It's getting really late. I better start making the journey across. Hey, Dad, I know the Holy Spirit can just, like, teleport me across this lake. Not a problem. Does it with Philip in the book of Acts. We see God do stuff like this all the time. I know the Holy Spirit can just do this. But I got an idea. You want to throw some wind and waves their direction? It's almost 3 o'clock. This is going to be good. I'll just tip on toe across the waves. And when right at 3 o'clock, I'm going to show up. And they're going to get scared. What I love about this is that this is what we see right here in this moment. He doesn't show up until 3 o'clock. And they get such a rise out of them. They are freaking the heck out. Now, what makes this funny, and what, uh, the reason why I, I relate to this is because the book of Matthew isn't the only book that records this story. The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they are all essentially the same book with a few differences. Each of them contain a few different details than the others do. Some include a story that the others don't. But by and large, they're mostly the same. They believe Mark was the earliest written, and so it is considered the foundation for the other two Gospels. Um, because it's the oldest of those being written, but they're all essentially the same. So when you read anything, any story, to get the full picture, you got to go read where it's listed in the rest of the scripture. 
And in Mark chapter 6, 48 through 49, in Mark's account, he gives us just a quick bit of information that Matthew doesn't record. It says that he saw, Jesus, saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water, right? So that's the same as Matthew. But then he says he intended to what? To go past them. Jesus wasn't walking on the water to the disciples. He was just going to let them struggle in the storm as he walked on by. Like, he didn't intend to go to them. He just wanted to walk by and freak them out. Have you ever scared somebody and then realized that was a bad idea? Like, oh, this is going to be great. And then you realize, oh, I should not have done that. Like, you try scaring somebody with a heart problem, that's a good time. I remember one time when we were, our kids were younger, uh, my son Reese and I used to, you know, play the scare game. We tried to scare each other, and, and uh, I think one time he almost got me. I don't know if he got me, but he almost got me. And so I told him, okay, I'm going to pay you back because this became a routine. He'd, he kept trying to scare me all the time. I was like, all right, if you don't stop, I'm going to scare you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scare you. He's like, you can't do that. You can't scare me. He's like, oh, I'm going to scare you. And he didn't believe me. Now, this is how twisted my brain works. I don't just like the jump scares. Those are fun. I like the scares that put the fear of death in you. The kind that make your whole world come crashing down in a moment. So, and he had to have been like six or seven years old. So we're talking, he was was young. But this is where my pride got the best of me because we sent him to bed and I was like, I'm gonna get you. He's like, no, no, you're not. I was like, oh yeah, I am. So he's in bed. I turned the hall light off. I waited about 10, 15 minutes. And then I crouched down by his door. You know, it's, it's dark other than the little light in the hall, um, you know, little light you can see from the other room. I military crawl under his, you know, like where he can't see me on his floor. And so he's so little, he can't even see past his full-size beds, right? He's like in the middle. He can't see me. I military crawl in there completely silent. And I slowly shut his door so that it creaks all the way closed. And then we usually sleep with fans at night, and so he has a fan blowing. I military crawl right up to his bed, and I unplug his fan so that it shuts off, and now it's dead silent. And all I hear is, Daddy, Daddy, you know. And he starts getting so scared, and I I can't remember if I jumped down and scared him or not. But from that night on, he couldn't go to bed until he knew for sure Dad wasn't coming upstairs. I think I scarred the kid for life. Like I, I, I do. I think we need counseling. But sometimes when you scare people, it doesn't go so well. Well, Jesus, he's walking by. You know he knows what's going on. He's God. You know he intended for this to happen because he's God. But as scripture says, he wasn't going to walk near them. He was just going to go on by until they started freaking out. And then when they started freaking out, then he was like, oh, I better go encourage them. I think this might be a little too too far. And so in verse 49, it says, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. 
Beloved, it may feel like God is distant in the middle of your storm, completely unaware of your circumstances, but he is completely aware of your circumstances. He sees you before you know you need him. And he will not leave you comfortless to struggle alone. And he's so filled with love and compassion that he is near to the brokenhearted. And his message to you today, no matter what you're going through, is don't be afraid, be encouraged, because I'm here. The storms may puff up to make you feel powerless. Their goal is to make you feel like you can't go on, you can't keep going, you can't make it. But Jesus says to you in those moments that you might be in a storm, but beloved, you are stronger than you feel. You are stronger than you think. Why? Because I am with you. And if I am with you, and I am for you, then what can be against you? If I am with you, and I'm for you, then what can be against you? So this is where we jump back into Matthew's account, because at Jesus' encouragement that don't be afraid, be encouraged, because I'm here, this is where Peter, I think, takes his encouragement maybe a little too seriously, but he takes it seriously enough because in Matthew 14, verses 28 through 30, Matthew includes this in the story. It says, when Peter heard him, he calls out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. I just think it's important to highlight here that no matter what storms you're going through, Jesus will always tell you to come. He will not cast you away. He will not reject you. He will always welcome you to come close to him. Why? Because that's where he wants you. He doesn't want you distant. He doesn't want you running away, being far. He wants you as close to him as you can be. And so there is always an open invitation to come and be close. So at this, Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water Toward Jesus. I love, I love Peter's response to Jesus when Jesus says, don't be afraid, be encouraged, I'm here. Peter's like, if it's really you, like, Jesus, don't be playing games. Like, don't be messing with my head, Jesus. If, if this ain't you, you know, don't, like, don't be messing with me, you know. Like, bro, this is like serious business. But he says, if it is you, then call me out to be close. Call me out to be with you. I want to be close in this mess. Let me come out to you on the water. Now remember what's happening in this story. They're in a little boat in the middle of the ocean or the sea, and there's this massive, nasty storm happening. What kind of stupid do you have to be to have the thought come into your head that it would be a good idea to get out of the boat? Like, visualize that. The boat's going crazy. People are rowing for their life. Water's going everywhere. You can barely see because of the waves. The lightning's crashing. The wind's blowing. And you think it's a good idea to get out of the boat. There was something wrong with Peter. Something definitely wrong. He was another kind of special. Wasn't too bright. But because he believed Jesus was with him, in the middle of a scary situation, an overwhelming situation, 
he was able to become courageous because he knew Jesus was with him. And that makes all the difference in the world. And Jesus invites him out on the water, and Jesus is not going to lead you into something that he's not already planned and prepared to take care of. So Peter is now walking on the water. And I love this because Jesus said in John 8 that those who believe will do the same works I've done and even greater. And what's Peter doing? He's walking on the water with Jesus in the middle of a storm. That is so powerful. That's so amazing. He's water walking. And I can just, like if this was today, if it was this day and age, you know Peter would be whipping out his phone to take selfies. He'd be like, oh, oh hold on, Jesus. We got to catch this moment. Hashtag disciple life. Hashtag walking on water. You know it. You know he would be doing it. He's like, like, hashtag who needs a boat when you can float? You know, like, <laughs> you just know. He's going to be dropping, name drop, he's going to be doing it, it's going to be blown up, it's going viral, you know. But this moment for Peter didn't last that long. Because verse 30 happens, it says, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. When he saw the adversarial wind, when he saw the torturous waves, he was terrified. Now, I'm not exactly sure what was happening in this moment for the wind and the waves were already crashing around. Like, it wasn't something new. It wasn't that he was out on the water. Then all of a sudden, the storm began to brew. No, the storm was already unleashed onto Peter. He was already in the middle of it. It wasn't like Jesus just showed up on a cool and calm afternoon, right? This was already happening. They were already struggling for their lives. And... Now, Peter just happens to notice the wind and the waves and begins to sink. Now, I think I have some insight. I think the Lord has given me something to help us understand what's happening in this moment. That for just a few moments, it enabled Peter to walk on the waves in the middle of the storm before he began to sink. What helped Peter walk on top of the waves before falling into the deep? You see, nowadays, we like to buy phones for many reasons other than using them as phones. You don't buy a cell phone because you want to call people. You buy a cell phone because it has 15 cameras on the back of it and can take high-definition, high-resolution pictures. Right, right, right now, I think it's the iPhone, what is it, iPhone 13. It's got three cameras on the back. The new Samsung has five. Like, we, we're not inventing phones anymore. That's like a secondary device. We need to call them something else. But we don't buy phones because they're phones anymore. I remember, I still remember when cell phones were coming out, and they were just beginning to put cameras on the cell phones, and they were advertising a whopping two megapixels for cameras. And that was like state-of-the-art technology. Like, that was like the thing. You're like, you got two megapixels? Oh, man. How awesome. Have you ever seen what a two megapixel picture looks like compared to what we have now? It's like, is that a picture? Like, you, can't even, you can't even tell. Right? But th this is just what we do. We, we buy phones for reasons other than using a cell phone. But there's, there is this now this need to have a high-definition camera in your pocket connected to your phone. And just with a click of the button with the new camera, the lenses, and the apps that we have, 
anybody can become a professional photographer at just the push of a button. It's remarkable what technology does. There's a concept in photography called bokeh. It comes from a Japanese word that means blur or to blur. And it is a way to stylize your images so that you can create a blur effect on your image to um, you know, make it look new and, and uh, creative, to make parts stand out while um, redirecting the focus from other areas. Now, this blur redirects the eye to focus on what is the primary subject of the image, deterring your eye away from the secondary image. And it looks pretty cool, too. I'm going to show you a picture on the screen. Uh, we have this cute little puppy. Let's all say one, two, three. Aww, right? But if you notice, the puppy is crystal clear, but the background is blurred. And this is what the blur effect does. It redirects your eye to focus on what's on the foreground while blurring out what is in the background. And how this works depends on the aperture on your camera. The aperture is the part of the camera that mimics the iris of the human eye, the pupil of the human eye. You know, when you enter into a dark room, what does your pupil do? It opens up so that it can bring in as much light as humanly possible so that it enables you to see and images are clear. When you enter into a light space, you, then your pupil actually shrinks. It becomes dark so that it can minimize the light so that it's not too bright and you can see. It's pretty amazing. I remember as a kid having an awesome 10 seconds worth of fun, going into the bathroom completely dark, turning the light on real fast, looking in the mirror, and watching my pupils go, whoosh, you know, like that. That'll entertain you for like 10 seconds. It's pretty awesome. But this is what the aperture on a camera does. It mimics that that uh, function in the human eye so it can add or decrease light in photography. Now, the reason why this is important for this function is because as you change your aperture, depending on your settings and your lens, as you change it in different environments, it will also alter the depth of field. The distance, the image, is able to be seen in clarity in the photography. And so just by adjusting the aperture setting, like this, by opening the iris, opening the lens in a lighted environment, it creates the depth of field to be manipulated so that the background goes blurry and then all you're able to focus on is the foreground. When the eye opens and lets more light in, it enables the background to go blurry and to remain focused on what is in front of you. And I think this is what happened to Peter that enabled him to walk on the water. He's in the middle of the night, struggling for his life. The wind and the waves are crashing. It's all around him. All this, this, this terrible circumstance is around him. But then he sees Jesus, hears his voice, and his faith begins to grow. And his faith begins to open up his spiritual aperture allowing the light to come in. His spiritual eyes begin to open, and Jesus begins to flood his heart and mind with light. Why? Because he's the light of the world. So as Jesus comes into the foreground, it directs his focus. What becomes blurry in the background? The storm. Is he aware that the storm's there? Of course he is. 
but it doesn't matter. It's not essential. It's not his focus. And because his eyes were focused on Jesus, his ears were attuned to his voice, the storm becomes background, the noise of the waves and the crashing wind, the, the thunder and the lightning, that becomes background noise, and the voice of the Lord and his image become the foreground. And so when Peter steps out on the water, eyes locked into Jesus, no, he didn't sink, but he was able to walk on top of the waves. And beloved, I believe this is what God wants for each and every one of us. When we're out in the deep, and we're lost in a storm. He doesn't want you to sink. He wants you to walk on the water with him. Peter was walking through a difficult season, but he wasn't hindered or shaken by it because he was locked in to Jesus. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us to do that? Well, it means we have to stop looking at all the stormy conditions in our lives, and we have to open our eyes to let the light in. This is what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, as he's encouraging the church. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses of the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And we do this by how? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. What I love about this is that we understand storms are meant to get us to sink, but the way to strip off the weights that are weighing us down in the deep is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And there are many things that come against us. There are many things that slow us down, that hinder our spiritual lives, that hinder our lives from being blessed by God. There are many things that, that we do in our lives that come against God's will and plan and purposes for our lives. But here he's saying, if we want to strip that stuff off, then we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, open to our eyes to his presence, open our ears to his word, his voice, open our hearts to the possibility for breakthrough and change to happen, for hope to come. And I, and I love what he says, how do we overcome sin? Let us strip off every sin that besets us, every sin that gets in the way. Everything we keep doing, we know we shouldn't be doing, but we can't figure out how to stop doing it, you know, our natural inclination is to tread. I'm going to come up with a new diet plan because I keep overeating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with an accountability partner because I keep looking at stuff on the internet I'm not supposed to look at. I, I keep doing all this stuff, and so I'm going to manage, 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 manage. I'm going to implement all of these things, and there, a lot of them are good things. Or I'm just going to, I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to do, 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 and do. But that's not what he says to do. He, he doesn't say, manage your circumstance to get free. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. We wear ourselves down in the storm, in the deep battling waves, battling wind. But that's not what brings the rescue or the breakthrough. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus, not how bad you are, how bad you, many mistakes you've made, what people think about you, what's been spoken over your life. No, what we focus on is who Jesus is, what he's done, what he has planned and prepared for us, the things that he's promised. 
The key to breakthrough, to rescue in the storm is not more of your own strength at work. It's fixing your eyes on Jesus, opening your eyes so that the light can come in. And those who walk in the light will not be overtaken by the darkness. In the middle of the storm and everything's crashing around us, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And the light will grow brighter and brighter in the storm and it will cause all that's a mess in our lives to fade into the background. And we won't be overcome by it. We won't be overtaken by it. We won't be sinking in it, but rise above it in Jesus' name. In Hebrews 6, 18 and 19, I love this. It says, God has given us both his promise and his oath. These things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. It's impossible for God to lie to you. But we live our lives and we believe in our hearts when we go through difficulties like God's been lying to us. Like, like man, I thought if I did this, God, that you were supposed to do this. Where's, what's up? It's impossible for God to lie. That means if he spoke it, if he promised it, it's going to happen, but it will be in his time, not yours. God cannot lie. It's impossible. There are some things God cannot do. He cannot sin, which means he cannot lie. Everything he's spoken will come to pass. Therefore, since God cannot lie, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor. Somebody say an anchor. The hope that we have in Christ is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, and it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. What keeps you stable out in the ocean when the wind is blowing hard? It's the anchor. You drop the anchor out of your boat, it connects to the bottom, lodges itself in a place to keep you secure so that the wind and the waves cannot overtake you. And the anchor we have in Christ is strong enough to endure every situation, every storm, no matter the speed or the strength. It can handle the tension. It can handle the barrage of anything that the storm sends your way. So even if the waves crash, you'll still be standing firm. And what I love about the anchor of God, this hope that we have, it's the hope that we have in Jesus is the anchor for our soul. When we lose our hope, we lose our anchor. But the anchor we have isn't an anchor that keeps us stable in one point. It's actually more like a tugboat leading us out of the mess into the one place we can find refuge. And where is that? In the inner sanctuary, close to Jesus, close to the heart of God. The hope we have leads us to the place we need to be. Matthew 14, verse 30, says, When he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. This is Peter. And then he cries out, Save me, Lord. And he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. But he tells Peter, You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? Peter took his eyes off the Lord, but for a moment... And it was enough to make him sink. He 
took his eyes off the Lord and put his eyes on all the problems around him, all the struggles, all the negative emotions, all his feelings. He began to feel fear, began to feel dread, terror, weak, and he began to sink, began to be overrun and overcome by a storm. And I think this is where we get stuck because we think we're focusing on Jesus. We think we're focusing on Jesus by being out in the storm with him. And I'm sure, you know, Peter thought he was doing everything he was supposed to be doing, right? He was in the boat the first place. Jesus sent him. And then Jesus is on the water and says, come to me. So what's Peter do? He gets out of the boat and he's where Jesus said to be. So we think, just like Peter, we're doing everything God said to do. Well, I'm obeying you, Lord. I'm obeying you. And many of us, we're trying to live lives in obedience to the Lord, but the storm is still kicking our tail. The storm is still kicking our tail. We feel like we're sinking faster and faster. And we're like, God, what is going on? The joy that we're supposed to have, the joy of the Lord that's our strength, is being robbed and sucked out of our lives. The hope we have for brighter days, that the best things are yet to come, is being hindered because of the dark sky and the crashing waves. And I believe, beloved, it's not because that Jesus doesn't have the power to help us in our circumstance or in our storm. He reaches out and grabs Peter instantly. Jesus is not powerless to save or powerless to help. The reason why we sink, even when we think we're walking in obedience, ultimately comes to where our focus is. You can be doing a lot of things that are right, but your focus can be far away from Christ. Your focus can be on what your spouse isn't doing right or, or what this person said to you or what's not going right over here. And you can be consumed with what's happening on the news. And I can't believe that political party keeps doing this thing and this political party's doing this thing and this world's, you know, falling apart and, uh, you know, we might as well build a bunker and lock the door and, and just stay, you know, stay hidden because the world's all falling apart. Where? is your focus. You can be going to church, you can be reading your Bible and praying every day, and your focus be so far from Christ, no wonder you're sinking. Matthew 6, Jesus says something very profound. He says in verse 22, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light, but when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, oh, how deep is that darkness? What's he saying? He's saying, there's only one light of the world. That's me. There's only one truth. That's me. So when your eye that's supposed to let in light is unhealthy, your whole body is going to be filled with darkness. You won't have the light you need. All you will have is darkness. You're going to have a dark cloud that covers everything. You're going to have a dark cloud that covers what you think about yourself. A dark cloud that covers what you think about your abilities are, what your strengths are, about how your job is going, about your purpose in life, about the reason why you exist. You're going to have a dark cloud that covers everything when your eye is unhealthy. And even more so, some of us are actually deceived in thinking that what we think is actually true. That the light that we have is actually darkness. And what's he say? He say, how dark is that darkness? In simplest terms, when we rely on our own wisdom to guide our way, we rely on our own feelings 
and our flesh to guide us, which are tainted by sin, which has to be redeemed in eternity, we won't be walking in the light, but we'll be walking in darkness. And that deception, that pride, will make us think we're going in the right way when really we're headed further and further into the deep. It's a scripture that says there's a right way, there's a way that seems right unto men, but the end is destruction. If what you think is right is actually wrong, if what you think is the right way to live, and it's actually contrary to what Jesus wants for your life, if you think what you're absorbing your mind and your attention with is really light, and it's actually darkness, then it's not heading you in the direction that's going to bring your rescue. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Don't depend on your own understanding. Don't depend on your understanding. Don't depend on your own understanding. Hey, guys, don't depend on your own understanding. Hey, Pastor Joey, don't depend on your own understanding. Anybody get the message? Don't depend on your own understanding. Why? Because it's darkness. What should we do? In all of our ways, acknowledge him. Seek his will in all we do. That word depend on means to just support oneself, to lean on, to rely on. What he's saying here is, in other words, don't trust yourself. How many people do you hear say that all the time? I can't trust anyone. I just trust myself. Well, then, Bible says you're a fool. Because you can't even trust you. It's all right if you don't trust other people. I don't trust them either. But you can't trust you either. But who can you trust? Jesus. You can trust the Lord. If you acknowledge him in all that you do, he will direct your path. He will blur out the distractions to help you focus on what will encourage, strengthen, and rescue you in the storm. You know, it's a common phrase, but the deep spiritual truth that we magnify what we focus on. Or what we focus on, we magnify. Whatever has your attention will be the focus of your life. Is it the storm? Is it the wind and the waves? Is it the people in your boat that aren't rowing hard enough or pulling their weight? What are you magnifying in your life? I mean, ask yourself, what's dominating your life right now? I mean, I love the Apostle Paul, but sometimes he gets under my nerves. He said some things that I struggle with. I mean, he's in jail. In jail. And he says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things... Through prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about a thing. Anybody guys see that movie Sing Too? Don't worry about a thing. You know? That didn't come from the movie. That came from the Apostle Paul. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. He also says rejoice when you struggle. When trials come upon you, rejoice. That dude's been in solitary confinement far too long. Like, what do you mean? My first reaction when I'm going through struggles is not to rejoice. Thank you, Lord, for this struggle today. I appreciate it. 
Thank you, Lord, for that person that just cut me off in traffic. Thank you, Lord, for that person that's too old to be driving anyway that just pulled out in my lane as I'm driving 55 miles an hour down the road, and they're going 25, and I have to slam on my brakes and slow down my rate of speed. Dear Lord, thank you for $5 a gallon gas. Dear Lord, thank you that there's a peanut butter recall, and now my favorite food is gone everywhere. Thank you, Lord, I have to buy the cheap toilet paper that's like sandpaper, and now I'm struggling. Right? How can you do that? How can you not worry about a thing? And how can you praise God when you struggle? Well, beloved, you magnify what you focus on. If you're focused on what you can't have, what you can't get, what's not going right for you, you're just really focused on your entitlement. And we're missing what Jesus has in the moment. So how do we access peace in the storm? We fix our eyes on Jesus. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I often quote this when I'm feeling down or discouraged, I like to declare this to encourage my faith, is in Psalm chapter 3, and it's in the King James Version. I don't know about you, but when you grew up, like I did, all my memorizations in the King James, and so I have to translate it in order to come into the modern era, but in the King James Version of Psalm 3, 1 through 3, it says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there's no help for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. God, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life that sucks. It's hard. I'm struggling. But you know what I'm choosing to focus on right here in this moment? You, oh Lord, who are my shield. You're my glory and the one that lifts up my head. When my life circumstances makes me want to just walk with my head down and disappear from the world and hide from everything going on, you, oh Lord, are my shield. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. God, you're my greatest delight. You are my greatest aim, my most holy prize. You are my glory. And you know what? No one or no thing can separate me from your love. When I'm down, he's the one that lifts my head. And when he lifts my head, what does he speak over me? Fear not. I am with you. You can be courageous. I am for you. Nothing can be against you. And I just believe that's the word for some of you here today. Don't be afraid. Jesus is here. You can be courageous. Just fix your eyes on the Lord. He rescued Peter from drowning, which means he's not going to be caught by surprise by anything that happens in your life. He'll see it before you do. Just trust him. Just focus on him. Just keep it taking one step at a time. If Peter just stayed locked into Christ, who knows how far they would have gone. 
Just keep locked in. Keep following. Keep listening. Keep trusting. And don't be afraid to fall. Because God has promised that in his power, he will keep you from falling. In Matthew 14, 32, after he rescues Peter, they climb back into the boat and the wind stopped. Praise God. Then the disciples began to worship him. You really are the son of God. In the gospel of Mark, it says they were totally amazed. They were blown away that even the wind and the waves were obedient to Jesus. You know when God comes through in our circumstance, when the wind begins to stop, the breakthrough happens, the healing comes, our hearts skip a beat. God, you're awesome. As if we didn't already know that, right? As if we already didn't know how amazing he was. But every time he moves, every time he shows us his glory, reveals his heart, it's like a new level of awe and wonder and worship that can pour out of our lives. It's so amazing. But you know what I love here? Is Jesus didn't take Peter out of the boat and lead him away from the storm. Jesus picked Peter up and walked him back to the boat and rode with him through the storm until the wind stopped. The moment Jesus got in the boat, the wind ceased. You know what's awesome about Jesus being in your boat? He's not riding, he's steering. And he steers you to calm water. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He lead, or I can't even remember it right now, I'm so, I'm so geeked up. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And he restores my soul. This is what he wants for you. Why do we struggle in the storm? It's because we're trying to steer the boat ourselves. Or we're focused on everything else other than just what he's saying, what he's doing in this moment. We just want him to get us out of the boat, to deliver us from the storm. But Jesus is like, I've got a better idea. Let me in your boat, let me steer and watch the storm cease. You just stay focused on me. Drown out the noise. Let it become a blur in the background. He's not going to take you out of the boat because he wants you to see how powerful you are when he's with you in the boat. When he's with you. I think the story of Peter's left here for us because the Lord wants us to see that if we, even if we conjure the greatest faith, our own wisdom and our own understanding will not last but for a moment and will eventually sink. We can't keep ourselves afloat, but we can make the choice to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to choose to not let the enemy distract us, to not shine the light on the enemy and what the enemy's doing and all the tricks and things that he's got going on. We don't shine a light on the difficulties in our marriage. You have a marriage problems, that doesn't mean you don't address them. It just means that doesn't become front page news. You don't, you don't. Make it front and center. We don't shine a light on how frustrated our friends are making us and how they're acting. We don't, we don't focus on how much failure we feel because we didn't reach a goal at work. We don't focus on how discouraged we are, how hopeless the situation makes us, or what is allowing you know, to, to rob us of our joy, what's supposed to be in the background. 
to rise to the foreground. When we focus on all that stuff, we allow the background stuff to come to the forefront. But if we focus on Jesus, all that stuff is going to go to the background. Rather than feeling consumed with what's happening around us, we just stop and we fix our thoughts. We take our thoughts captive and we say, I'm not going to focus on that, Jesus. I'm going to focus on you and what you've promised. And what happens in that moment is our spiritual aperture begins to open. And the light begins to come in. And we can get a perspective change, a shift to begin seeing the true things that God is speaking over our lives. And to see what God is doing around us, to see the people around us that he has called us to minister to, to love through their struggles, and to watch his promises unfold right before our very eyes as we keep reaching out to him. There's a promise that says, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. So beloved, keep focusing, keep listening, keep believing, and at the right time, he'll get in the boat and the storms will pass. And then you'll be able to worship with the disciples like you've never been able to worship before in awe and in wonder of the goodness of our God. I just want to encourage you, the storm's not going to last forever. Even if the wind's blowing hard, he's with you. He's encouraging you. He's cheering you on. And what's he saying? Don't be afraid. You can be courageous because I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Be encouraged. Be courageous because I'm with you. Beloved, don't be afraid. Be encouraged. Be courageous because I'm with you. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that even in the storm, we don't have to fear or be afraid because you're with us. And I just praise you, God, for the comfort that you're releasing in this moment. I thank you, Lord, for those who are just barely hanging on right now. God, this word that you've given to encourage their heart. And I just pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that's not begun a relationship with you, by coming to you, Jesus, and saying, I give you my heart and my life. I trust in you. I believe in the sacrifice that you made for me on the cross. And I believe that you raised from the dead so that I could be saved, so that I could become a child of God. If there's anyone here that hasn't made that decision, who hasn't encountered you, God, I pray that today would be the day. And that right here, right now, where they are, they would just begin to pray out to you and say, Jesus, I want you in my boat now and forever. You come and you steer my ship. You be my Lord and Savior. God, you have control. I surrender to you. And I just trust you that forever long the wind blows, no matter how big the waves get, God, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. I'm going to keep my ears tuned to your frequency. And I'm going to keep walking one step at a time. And I know because you promised and you cannot lie, I will not sink, but I will rise above the waves. I'll continue to walk on top of the water. And we'll walk wherever you want to go. You can take me wherever you want to lead me. We'll do whatever you have for me. Because 
says, God, I know the plans and purposes you have for me are for good and not disaster, to give me a future and a hope. This storm will pass. This will not last, God, but your glory will remain forever. And God, I just give you my heart and my life in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just thank you, God, that you're releasing breakthrough right now. I don't even need to see hands. I just know it. I feel it. Faith is rising. God, encouragement is coming. Boldness is being released. God, peace is coming. God, I just speak stillness to the waters, calmness to the waves and the wind. And Lord, we give you glory. We praise you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand up together. If you are struggling, if you need prayer, if you need a family member to pray with you over a circumstance, as our prayer team comes forward, we encourage you to come. If you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never begun a relationship with God, then come and meet us down here, and we will pray with you and encourage you and celebrate with you as you invite Christ into your life, the most important decision you will ever make. As Tony sings, you come. us at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.cb forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.